Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to another episode of the Theater Podcast. I'm Alan Seals, and this episode is with Harrison Chad, who actually made his Broadway debut at age six. And uh, he's been in shows like Les Mis and Beauty and the Beast, Peter Pan. He's he's actually done a lot of voiceover work as well, which is very interesting. Um, I didn't even realize that before I ever met him, before I knew him, that I've been listening to him as the voice of Tarzan in Tarzan 2 with uh, my two little kids who watch that movie all the time. Uh, th- this episode is actually really cool. Um, in the conversation with him, we got into what it was like being a child actor and and moving, you know, going out to LA, not moving out there, but you know, temporarily relocating to go record all the stuff for Tarzan too, and uh, and growing up, I guess, being on the Broadway stage, but still trying to live a normal life, and it, it kind of puts in perspective for me that. As a, as a kid, I remember my own childhood and it just, you know, as a kid, you don't have a lot of frame of reference sometimes. And uh, for me as well, I, I growing up, it just, it was what it was. And, and for child actors, I can definitely see how they kind of grow up and kind of sometimes go crazy, I guess for lack of a better term. And Harrison did not. He seems like a totally normal guy. Uh, very cool to talk to. I, I've actually chatted with him several times. And he's just a normal guy every single time. And I don't know why that's surprising, but it just is. So, Harrison, you're a cool guy. Keep being cool. And everybody else, please enjoy this episode with Harrison Chad. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Making his Broadway debut at age six, he's been in shows like Les Mis, Beauty and the Beast, Peter Pan, and also has done notable voiceover work in shows such as Dora the Explorer, Little Einsteins, and even movies such as the voice of Tarzan in Tarzan 2, which is one of my kids' absolute favorite movies. In addition to transitioning from stage to screen, he's also a producer and now currently stars as Noah in the podcast musical Loveville High. And according to his Instagram bio, actor, man-child, lover of bagels, hater of pigeons, Harrison Chad, thank you for joining yeah, me today. thanks for having me. What do you have against pigeons? I, so this is actually, I've been afraid of pigeons for a very long time. That's not your coffee. No, I put my <laughs> empty teacup in my mouth. And- um, no, so I, I was about 10 years old, sitting on the side of uh, 46th Street, on like a fire extinguisher that was next to the Howard Johnson's that used to be there. It's now like a Aeropostale or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and about 10 pigeons pooped all over my head. <laughs> and I immediately <laughs> threw up and started hysterically crying all at the same time. 
And then it, <laughs> like, I was in Beauty and the Beast at the time. So I had a show later that night. So we got like, uh, we went into a room at the Marriott Marquis across the street. And my mom like bathed me as I was crying and throwing up. <laughs> and ever since that moment, um, it's just gotten worse over time. And I think I should probably see somebody about it. Um, <laughs> or maybe just continue to fear them. I don't know. They're scary and dirty. They're like rats with wings. That's all the time we have for this podcast. <laughs> Thank you for coming. Um, no, yeah. let's start off where we really start off on this podcast. Let's talk about your childhood. Yeah. Um, born in Plainville, New York? Plainview, yeah. Plainview. Long Island. Long Island. Strong Island. Long Island. 516. <laughs> uh, and Broadway debut at age six, but like, I, I assume there was stuff leading up to the Broadway debut. What was Hon what well, was your childhood? Honestly, it, there wasn't much. Like, I I started acting like we, I did like shows at my family's Passover seders and that like my cousins and I would write. And then my uncle had a friend who was a manager in like New York City, but the office was in Westchester. It was weird. And my uncle was like, you should go because you have like great facial expressions. <laughs> and I was like, sure, I'm six. I don't know. I was like a normal six-year-old kid. Went to meet with the manager. They sent me out on like commercial auditions, stuff like that. And then I got an audition for Peter Pan on Broadway. They were doing like a sit down production of it with Kathy Rigby in New York. And I went in, I'd never been like to a dance call or a, I never sang really in a show or anything. And I went in and I sang Tender Shepherd <laughs> and did the dance call. And I booked it and it was it was a great summer and it really like gave me the bug for theater. And then while I was in Peter Pan, I booked Dora the Explorer. Really? Yeah. So it was like really quick that it went just from nothing to like, oh wow, now I'm gonna like start a career in this. Well, how did how did you you know to audition for Dora then? Were your parents encouraging you because of like, oh my gosh, look at the facial expressions on this kid? Well, no, it was like it was like I Started doing this, I would audition and I did like commercials, stuff like that, like for the first couple months. And then, you know, the audition, like when you start getting auditions, you start getting more auditions and do it, getting more opportunities. And all of a sudden voiceovers came and I did Dora. And then now I've done like voiceovers my whole life, which is crazy to me. Well, was it, was it you that wanted to do it or did your parents kind of like shove no, you my, out the door? And no, my parents were like so down with doing whatever I wanted to do. Um, it was like, if I didn't, I, I always wanted to do it. Like the second that I started doing it, I was like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I need to just perform. And then whenever I was not doing it, I, that's what I wanted to be doing. So I really enjoyed it. My parents are, were always like very supportive and kept me in school. Like school was always number one. Mm -hmm. If I, it was like acting for me as a child was like a varsity sport. If I didn't do well in school, like I couldn't do the varsity sport. I no kidding. I couldn't act. But I always I did I did. How did that work? When you have <laughs> when you have two show days, matinees obviously yeah, are during the school day. My friends were jealous that I got to leave early. Do you, so so you would I would go to, go to school normally five days a week, but then on Wednesdays I would leave by like twelve thirty, mm -hmm. like half day. And do you so you have to make up the work? Or do you would yeah, have to yeah, yeah. the theater? Yeah. yeah, I would do I would get out of the theater at eleven o'clock, get in the car. My parents like drove me to the city and back every day. It was crazy. I'm so lucky that I like 
have them as my parents. Um, and I would like do my homework in the car and then wake up at 7 a.m. and go to school for the day and then go do a show at night. It was it was a wild thing. I've always wondered about that, that you see these kids in, in an ensemble cast, such as like Matilda, where you've yeah. got tons of kids, right? yeah, yeah. School of Rock kids, that all of them... They think, you know, 6 a.m., 7 a.m., they're getting them going to school and then they're staying out till 10 or 10 or 11 p.m. at night on, yeah. these, on these late days. I, did, it, did it take a toll on you? Were you, like, were you, know you, it, it were you kind of a walking me, zombie? No, well, I am always tired. <laughs> 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 I don't think that's why. But um, I think it made me know how to be productive when I'm busy. That's like one of the things that I picked up the most is like knowing... Like when I'm not busy, I am very unproductive. When I'm super busy, I like am so productive because I know like time, it helped me really well with time management skills because I had to do my homework from, you know, two to three or three to four and then get in the car and go to the city and do a Broadway show. It was like, I didn't have time to play video games or hang. I mean, I hung out with my friends, but it was like, I had to be very specific with how I managed my time. And I think- that's translated well as an adult when I've been busy. And when I'm not busy, I I don't manage my time well at all. Sorry, I picture you walking around the playground like boss baby with <laughs> Probably. You know, yeah, with your little suit on and you're like, no, all right, so, I, it was so there's little Susie, yeah. I have time for you from two to three <laughs> from PM. Two to three. And then I would go to the city. No, I it was weird. It was like two, I was I lived two lives. Like I would be a kid when I was with kids. And then when I would go into the city, I was like very much a professional adult even though I was still a child. <laughs> right. Yeah. Did you know how how lucky you were to, to get that? Because people like tried their whole lives that's to get onto to a, now. Yeah. <laughs> As an adult. <laughs> yeah, try to get their whole lives to get on stage and you did it at six. Uh, yeah, it, it felt so normal that when I was in the moment of it, there would be moments where people would tell me that and I would like, you know, take it in, but I didn't really understand what I was doing at the moment. Um, but now looking back, I totally like understand how cool it was and how lucky I was that I, that was my, I had a like amazing, cool, different childhood. And so I'm like really thankful for that. Yeah. Do, were you treated differently in school at all? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, not, not much. And people thought it was like some of the things I did were cool and some people were jealous. <laughs> but like other, it wasn't, I was a normal kid in school. Like I was had friend, a group of friends. Mm -hmm. Nobody like made it into a bigger thing than it was. Well, that's yeah, that's yeah. nice. The, with like Dora the Explorer, people would tend to not like make fun of me, but like ask me to do the voice all the time, which started to like get annoying as I got older. But like looking back, I was like, that was still cool. Like that I got to do that. Right. Yeah. And then uh, Tarzan. Um, <laughs> Tell really me, yeah, tell me about that. How'd you get that? Yeah, that was a, like a long process. We, I auditioned for that for about like six months to a year, like in callbacks and stuff like that. Really, it took that long. Yeah, because well, to make that film, I don't know if it still takes this long to make animated films because they make it a little differently now. But it took, I think, like seven years from start to finish to completely make that movie. It's like a Broadway show. Yeah, it was. It was a really long process. And it was also from like existing material. So they like really wanted a specific voice to like match the kid that had done it previously. Um, but then once I got it, it was an amazing experience. I got to go out to LA like five or six times. Um, 
you know, worked with Glenn Close, George Carlin, like all these like massive stars. Um, and I was in LA. It just felt, it was a really cool experience as a child to, to be, I was like, I like had to take a week off from Les Mis or two weeks off from Les Mis to go out to LA to like record a movie. It was just a really cool experience. And to be in a booth where you're playing Tarzan, like this famed Disney character is right. crazy. Yeah. But I'm like a part of that. A part of Disney history is pretty, pretty awesome. Well, when you get your residuals, think of me because <laughs> my kids watch it all the damn time. Um, that's so, that's cool. I, I, I'm kind of conflicted about like if my kids want to start going down that path because you hear stories about child actors, yeah. that, like you know your Lindsay Lohan's. No offense, Lindsay, if you're listening, um, and and th these kids who kind of just kind of get sucked up into this world of having everything at their fingertips. Yeah, and you know I just met you the other night, and you seem like a pretty normal guy. I, yeah, it's it's all. I honestly think the best way if you were ever to get your kids into this. If they, well, first of all, they have to really like it. If they don't like it, they're not going to turn out well. <laughs> it's not going to turn out well. But if if they like it, just keep them in normal school and just like have them have friends, make sure that it's not the only thing they have. Because like as an adult, if it's the, like you, you have to be a well-rounded person and mm -hmm. you learn that as a kid. Like when you think back at school, you don't really remember specifics like, I learned uh, thermodynamics. I mean, some people do. But you remember your relationships. You remember those crushes you had or the people that you spoke to. And, like, you remember those experiences like in Loveville High. <laughs> Where, like, people, you know, you, you remember how you can talk to someone and how you can relate to someone else. Whereas if you're just performing all the time, 24-7, you sometimes lose that. Yeah. 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 You need perspective, I guess, and and being grounded on, you know, getting your your hopes and dreams crushed by, oh, I by mean, normal I've, normal people you're in love it's with. It's crazy because I have had so much rejection in my life <laughs> that like it's just normal to me. Like we're some uh, like my friends who when when we graduated college would start to apply for jobs. They applied for, you know, oh, five, six jobs. I've gotten rejected from all of them. It's like, I get rejected from five or six jobs like a month. Like it's, it's that's yeah. part of the business of acting is like learning how to deal with the rejection and like, you know, figure out how to use it. That's funny. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. So let's talk about Loveville High. You, you mentioned yeah. that you play the character of Noah. Who is Noah? Noah. Well, it's, I love the name Noah. Noah was my name in Carolina Change. It's also the name of my nephew who's a newborn and is so cute and I love him so much. Newborns are um, the best. Oh, I love him so, so much. So they poop on you. I want him to poop all. Uh, no, I don't. That's weird. <laughs> nope. Nope. Um, so Noah is Remember like, the pigeons. Yeah, right. <laughs> Noah's a bro-y uh, dude in Loveville High, we're, we're in the locker room. I'm hanging out with my friend Kyle, who like just might have fallen off a roof or like possibly got injured. This It's not clear to my character what happened, but like we're in a locker room and a lot of uh, feelings get expressed and we sing a lot of songs. Not maybe that you would think feelings get expressed, that we're, we're in love with each other, but in a, in a bro way, in a dude way. We're straight men who love each other a lot. <laughs> highly, highly respectful yeah. <laughs> of each other. Um, yeah. Yeah, I guess we, we 
I think we talked about this in the opening night party the yeah, other yeah. night where we were meeting. So yeah, if you, for those listening, go back to that 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 episode, which will probably be out before this one. I'm pretty sure. Um, so we'll splice that all together. But uh, it's interesting to me. Um, I've said this before about Loveville High. Uh, the different the differences in the relationships, the differences in the representation, and when you were sent the script, yeah. Um, why why did why did you say, All right, I'm going to do this. This this is something that I'm going to put my name to. Yeah, well, I really, I resonated with it. I mean, I've I've had a lot of relationships with like bro friends where it just, you, a lot of guys um, feel like it's like shameful to like express your feelings to each other, like in like a very like serious and like loving way. And especially like with my friends from home and college, like I've always been very, like my friends and I have always been really open with each other and like very straightforward, like said exactly how we feel. And I think that was like really clear in like, like the, the script that was sent to me. And it's, it's just like a loving, it's a love, loving story of like two guys who are just in a locker room expressing their feelings for each other, even though like it gets a little haywire at the end, but yeah. What episode number is it? It's five. Episode five. Yeah. Okay. Um, have you recorded it? It's all recorded. Yeah, it's You're all, all recorded. done. Yeah. We, we, you know what the most fun about recording it was that, so we, we got in the studio, we were working a ton. And then at the end, we were like going to be done. And I remember Troy and I, Troy Iwata is the other character in, in this episode. And I remember we looked at, we were just like, can we just like try it one more time just to like play around, see? Cause like we were really warm at that moment and like feeling each other. Well, Full feeling stop. each Full other's presence. <laughs> <laughs> we were feeling each other. You know what I mean. <laughs> and then we did one last take and it was amazing. And it might, might have even been some of what they used. And so that felt really great. And like the, the collaboration of the episode came, you know, to a full circle moment at the end where like at the beginning of the day we came in and it was like we were feeling it out. And then by the end we were warm enough to just like go, be like, let's, let's do it one more time and just really go for it. Which Did you awesome. know him before, before uh, rehearsing with him? I literally met him. So the night before was opening night of Be More Chill Off-Broadway at the Signature Theater. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm very good friends with Joe Iconis and Jen Tepper and Will Rowland and like all that. The I'm in the family with Joe. And so I was at the opening night and we were both there, but we didn't meet each other at the party. And then we met each other the next morning at the studio in Soho. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of cool. So you had you had just literally- It was like, like a cosmic the, meeting. Yeah, then. And you had, but you, you only had the day. Like it, when you're doing stage productions, you'll have- Table reads yeah. and and weeks and weeks of rehearsal. Well, well, we, we had some. We had a music rehearsal prior to recording it mm -hmm. to like learn the songs. Um, yeah, but it, it was. It's definitely. I mean, it goes with voiceovers. Like that's typically there's very few times where you do a lot of rehearsal for voiceovers because you have opportunities in the booth to do different takes or different spins or whatever you want to do with that line or song and you can work it while you're actually doing it. Whereas like with theater, you know, you could rehearse something for six weeks and get to a point of, okay, this is the, what choice I want to make or what I want to do with it. You know, it, it's just a different process. But yeah. I, I, I think that when you're in a booth, there's some sort of freedom to just like knowing where to, 
just what to do. And I don't know, I've been doing it now since I'm sick. So I, I, I have a feel for like how you can vary, like do different variations of stuff to like really elicit mm-hmm. different feelings. Do you still do a lot of VO work? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. do. I, I mostly, well, actually I do it all. I do mostly commercials now. Um, so like radio spots, whatever it may be. Um, and I also, I audition for a lot of like animated stuff still, but I, you know, trying to get more. What's the most recent thing you've done? Like voiceover wise? Yeah. Uh, I did a Geico spot recently. Did you really? Yeah, where I played a surfer dude. <laughs> were, were you on camera or was it a VO? No, 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 it was a VO. Yeah? Um, I, it was something like they had, <laughs> there was a wave pool in the, in the office and <laughs> two people were like, Donna, did you hear that there's a wave pool in the office? And she's like, what's going on? Like, I hope we haven't shared, blah, blah, blah. And then I like come in at the end, I'm like, hey, bras, like hang 10, come join. Jeffrey from accounting is doing some surf moves. That was it. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I get the big bucks. (laughs) Dude, national commercials, man. That's where it's at. I mean, no, it's, yeah. It's a very, it's a fun, it's a fun thing to do. It'll pay your rent. Yeah. (laughs) Um, 2016 uh, made your producing debut in Off-Broadway. I did. I produced a a show Off-Broadway called Straight at um, the Acorn Theater in New York. Um, that was a really cool experience. Um, I got to like learn. I've always been interested. This is since I was a little kid at doing all of the jobs in theater. So like literally I remember when I was, you know, in Peter Pan, um, I was the understudy for Michael Darling, the youngest kid. So I wasn't on all the time. And I remember going up to like the conductor and being like, can I sit in the pit and like watch the show with you and see what you do? And then I sat in the pit and watched how, like, what that looks like. And then I sat with, in Beauty and the Beast, I remember sitting with, like, the stage manager and watching her call a show. And throughout my whole life, I've always been interested in, like, exploring all the different opportunities that theater has to offer. And then I was, like, presented with this opportunity to go into the foray of, like, producing. And it was a really, really interesting, like, eye-opening experience to learn how shows actually get made in terms of money, in terms of marketing, in terms of public relations. It just, it completely widened my perspective instead of just being like an actor who knows a lot about like the like, you know, um, art stuff within it, like the Mm. music or directing, whatever that may be. Producing like also encompasses so much of business that I picked up a lot of cool tips and stuff that has helped me now moving forward. Was there something that that was utterly just surprising to you that you would have had no clue otherwise? Um, nothing that was like too, not, nothing that's ground, like groundbreaking. It was just like a really cool experience to see how like you have to buy ads on the side of, of subways or on the side of buses. Buses, right. And it's like that kind of thing. I... You I, now that when I walk through the city and I see buses, I'm like, oh, Hamilton's doing a new campaign. What? Why are they doing that? Why are they doing? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It like makes you think differently about how people promote stuff and how. I, also, the in terms of like literally the connection between the producer and director and the creative team and how notes get handled and stuff like that. Just it's really interesting to to learn that side of the business. And as an actor, it's important to know that stuff because mm-hmm. it just makes you more equipped to like be in a, you know, help, like help you move your career forward. Do you want to do more of that? You think? 
yeah, I mean, if the right thing comes up, I would definitely be interested in producing more. Um, I've been focusing a lot more on like acting and writing now, but like it's definitely something that I like want to do more of. What are you writing? Uh, I've been writing this. <laughs> it's weird. Um, I've been working on this like show that I've wanted to make for so long. It's called The Rosies. So in the early 1900s, I don't know if I, I've told anybody about this. this is like the first, I mean, I've, I've told some, my friends. But basically in the early 1900s, there was a basketball team in Cleveland called the Cleveland Rosenbaums or Rosenblooms. It was a real team. Okay. And Cleveland Rosenblooms. Max Rosenblum, who's like a real guy, uh, was the head of a department store in Cleveland. And I'm obsessed with basketball. It's like my passion. So they started this all-Jewish basketball team called the Rosenblooms. And in the first season, it was like in an, um, a league that was a pre predecessor to the NBA. In the first season, they went to New York and like beat this all-African-American team in New York in, in basketball in the early 1900s. And it's like an amazing story. And it, there's very little info on it, except for what I just told you. Like there's little articles and stuff. And so I've been working on like the pilot of that, trying to trying to get it off its feet. And we get web it's series, a, a TV show. I think it's a TV show. It, it 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 could be a TV show or like a mini series. But I want it. It's definitely a filmed. It's I don't see it as like a stage thing. What about a podcast? It could be a podcast. It could be a radio play. Yeah. Hi, I'm Max Rosenblum reporting live from the Rosie's game. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it could be. You could just do all the voices yourself. Oh my god. Wow. You want to be a producer of it? Sure. Let's do it. All <laughs> Wait, right. That's actually a great idea. I'm stealing that. <laughs> All right. You heard it first. You, you can own the copyright for what comes out of your mouth. Okay. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I really like that idea. Yeah it's, yeah. It, it's a fun, I mean, I guess it would sort of, I think the, the, the vein I see it in is maybe in similar world of like Maisel, like that kind mm -hmm. of like feel to it, but about basketball and like, just like, Kids playing basketball. I don't know. Dude, sports podcasts. That I, I people am, like yeah, that. Yeah, I am into sports podcasts. There you go. Well, a the, scripted sports podcast. Oh, cha-ching. Money. Add money. There you go, producer. Let's make it happen. <laughs> Going back to Phoebe and Tilm. Oh, yeah, Phoebe and Tilm. Yeah, film and TV. Uh, as an adult, you've done, you've done less theater than you did as yeah, a kid. Yeah, well, it's not by choice. <laughs> I was gonna ask um, about that. I've just well, I've just been I auditioned for everything. I just did a show with David and Eric, who wrote Loveville High, mm -hmm. called uh, the Effing Wright Brothers. I don't know how censored this podcast should be. Um, it's the full effing word, mm -hmm. um, and that was a really cool experience. We did it in the Fringe Festival. Hopefully, there will be more life to that show because I had such a blast doing it. Um, but yeah, I've been doing a lot of TV. Uh, I just did an episode of Murphy Brown, which is mm -hmm. really cool. Um, that was the first time I'd ever done like a live studio audience multicam show. And it was an awesome experience. It's like the weirdest mix of like schmackty theater, but also TV. Cause you like get to do a couple takes, but only like, we only did like three or four takes of the show, mm -hmm. of the, the scene that I was in. And it was just such a fun experience. Like Candace Bergen was the nicest person I've ever met and a a brilliant, brilliant, like talented person. Like she was hilarious in every way. My only experience with Candace is I went to a party the other night and 
walked in ahead of her and held the door for her, and she oh. said, "Thank you." Oh, so oh, Ken, that's so <laughs> that is so Candace. That is she just she says thank you. Oh, she's the best. <laughs> uh, you've also uh, been in Hearts Beat Loud. Which oh God, you I know love, what? Wait, you want to hear? Wait, love. Do you want to hear what happened? Yeah, of course. So. I'm not actually in the movie. Wait, what? I got cut out of the movie. Wait, what? What? And you know how I found out? <laughs> I, okay, so I filmed this scene where Kiersey yeah. Clemens, yeah. I, like, in one of the first scenes of the movie, I go up to her, I hit on her, but, like, I'm, like, kind of, like, a dick. Like, I'm really mean. I'm not, like, I'm, like, hey, what's up? Like, you want to go on a date, blah, blah. We have, like, a whole little scene. So it was an amazing experience. Like Brett, the director was so cool. The set, the scene, like we did it in Brooklyn. It was very fun. Yeah, okay. down on Red like Hook. Fast forward, yeah, Red yeah. Hook. I live near there now, so I go by like all the places. Okay, so fast forward six to like six months, right? And the movie, it's ramping up. I'm seeing all of like marketing. I'm like, yeah, this is cool. I'm like in one scene of this awesome movie um, with Nick Offerman. Like, whoa! And then a week before the premiere. I get an email from the lead producer saying, hey, Harrison, we're so sorry. Or uh, good news and bad news. Good news is we'd love to invite you to the premiere. <laughs> <laughs> bad news is we had to cut your scene because it just flow and time. It just didn't work. <laughs> and so I got very sad. Um, yeah. But it was still a fun experience. I had a good time. And luckily, he told me, because apparently there have been other actors who have been cut out of things and just never known that that happened. Also, I'm lucky I did not really publicize it at all. Like I told my friends and family. But if I, if I had publicized it and then like the movie came out and everyone was like, I didn't see you. In Where were you in that movie? Why didn't see you? It would have been way more embarrassing. Yeah, I watched. I like watching deleted scenes and whatnot. Maybe it's in a delete. It might be. Yeah, would you get the Blu-ray yet? I I don't even. What is Blu-ray? Blah. blah. <laughs> That's it's so 2018. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Netflix needs to put out Blu-ray extra content. Oh, that would be cool. Remember, what What was it? FX or FXX? FXXXX. FXXXXXX would would do like DVD on TV or whatever it was. Oh, where you could like. I used to no, watch no, no. when I, oh where, my God. Where they would say like, okay, here's the movie, now we're cutting. Yeah. And here's, here's, here's a deleted, deleted scene. scene. Yeah. Well, I used to watch, there was a company back in the day called Infinity Film. I don't, I watched this movie. So Austin Powers, Gold Member. I had the Infinity Film version. And the thing, it, I loved it so much. I wanted to come back because you would be watching the movie and all of a sudden something would pop up and it would be like, do you want to know how that stunt was made? Yes. And you would click yes. And yes. then it would be like a 30 second or like a minute long like video explanation showing behind the scenes. And then it would be like, then, you know, every every minute would be, or two minutes, would something else would pop up being like, do you want to know like how Michael Caine got cast as this role? And then you would, it would cut to Michael Caine like being like, well, uh, you know, you're talking about this. And then I went to meet with Mike Myers. Like whatever it may be, you know what I mean, right? And then it was I was I was obsessed with it. I was oh, obsessed that, with it. I think it was a Universal Pictures Infinity film, or was it, Universal? I think it was. I mean, there was probably another version. I'm, of I'm it. pressing the remote with my hand here. Yeah, uh, yeah, whatever. Like I don't seen know. it, seen it, seen it. Yeah, great. Game. No, I love that behind the scenes stuff. Um, and then 
But Hearts Be Loud, great yeah, movie. Hearts Be Loud, so bad. Great I'll look, movie. look for look for Harrison Chad in the deleted scenes. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> extra, extra. Yeah. And then you were also on Smash. <laughs> I was on Smash. I I was <laughs> a small role on that. I so um, Christian Burl and Deborah Messing's characters were writers on the show, mm-hmm. and they had written a show called Three on a Match, that was like a a show that had sort of put them on the map a little bit. And I was in a high school production of it. So they had gone to see, it was like the thousandth regional or high school production. So it was a very special event. And so they came to see us and I got to sing a song and like do a couple lines on on stage while they were watching. Um, But the coolest part about that um, was that because I sang in it, I got to go into a studio with Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman and um, they wrote a song about three on a match like, so let us raise a glass to them. Whatever it may <laughs> like, and we, I got to like work in the studio with them in this like fancy TV recording studio. Um, and so that it was a really awesome combination because it wasn't just, usually with TV work, the day player, you show up for a day, you work, you get out, you don't really get to like, you know, meet the people and really work on it. So mm-hmm. this, I was, that was a definitely a cool experience. One of your, one of your credits that I'm most curious about is credited as a, as a dancer on SNL last oh, year. Yeah. Last year I was, I did an episode. Um, so Will Ferrell was the host mm-hmm. and I got to be, he was doing like this fifties singer get like bit where he was a fifties singer singing, uh, it was very, it was like uh, about the Me Too movement where he was singing like all these like very doo songs or like blah, 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 blah. But he was singing about being like interested in young women. And the, the two, like Kate McKinnon was like, wait a minute, like why is he singing about being into young ladies? So we were just, I was in the background with a couple of friends like dancing to, like I was on like American Bandstand basically. But that was a really cool experience. Oh, I, Okay, so it was just like <laughs> I wasn't like I wasn't boogie, a boogie, dancer. That's I what I was asking. I was like, I didn't think you you were you had formal dance training. Well, excuse me. Look, I'm, is that just based on my body type? Like, <laughs> based on your credits? Yeah, no, I'm I'm definitely. I would say I'm a bar mitzvah dancer. Like on the dance floor of a bar mitzvah, <laughs> I'm rocking out, but but def not like front line at a dance call. Although I'm down to learn anything. <laughs> That is now the title of this episode. Harrison Chad, Bar Mitzvah Dancer. <laughs> bar Mitzvah Dancer. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Um, when you, as, a, as a child, you saw a lot of theater success, and, and now you're seeing different kind of success as an adult. Are you, do you struggle at all with not being— I struggle a lot. No, sorry. <laughs> do, you, do, you no. do you struggle at all with not being more involved with theater now? You know— it's the thing is I'm still in the community of it and I'm always like work I'm I'm working on like a lot of workshops and stuff like that. I just haven't been on Broadway since I was a child. Mm-hmm. Um so no, I I don't struggle with that because I'm still I feel like I'm a part of the community and I'm always involved in stuff that's going on. I see a lot of theater, I like work on a lot of theater. So it just because like the success is different, I, I still appreciate it and I just appreciate it in a different way. Right. Um and I think the best part about theater is like the collective aspect of it where uh, like I am friends with all these people now that are going off and being in Be More Chill and working on the show that a lot of people are making their Broadway debuts. And I I worked on a show with Joe Iconis called The Black Suits a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. And he like welcomed me into this world. And even though I'm not 
in the show or producing the show or working on the show in literally any way. I'm a fan of the show and I'm a fan of the people. And that's just as important as being in it. Because like a show does not, especially theater, a show does not exist unless people go see it. Like there could be a show where literally nobody goes to see it. And then only the people that saw it will remember what it was or how special it was. And that's what's so awesome about theater is like, I might not be in a uh, Broadway show right now, but I have tons of friends who are, and that makes me happy because their success makes me happy. And like, I, I hope one day to be back there again, but like, I'm not, it's not something where I'm, I'm nervous that it's not going to happen because you just have to stay, stay positive and like confident. Yeah. Different kind of success. Yeah. yeah I, really, different I, kind of success. I, like, I really like that answer. Yeah. Very respectful answer. And today, um, Obviously, through the magic of time, podcast time travel, this will come out weeks after we record it Whoa. today. Today is day five of the union strike. Talk, you, you mentioned yeah. um, the workshops and stuff. Do you, yeah. do you? How do you feel? Like you said, you do a lot of workshops. Now yeah. you're not able to. Yeah. Well, I yeah. The strike just. I mean, who knows how long this day will go five, on? Yeah. But um, I think. Well, basically, I, I think that it's an important fight to have, um, and I think this is a smart way to go about it because nothing will change unless you really stand up for what you believe in. Like if mm -hmm. if people were just continuing to do labs, nothing would really change. So I think this will get the bug going on like more communication and hopefully something will get done um, to improve that level. Mm -hmm. um, it's weird though because now I've been on the producing side. So I understand like what what the other side is coming from, but it's time. It's, 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 you know, it's been a long time since things have changed in terms of, you know, being a part of, you know, profit sharing or whatever it may be. So I think it's time that like something changes and this, if, if the union feels this is the way to go about it, then I'm, then I'm so for it. Well, for the, for listeners who don't know what the strike is about, can you summarize it? Well, basically People, when actors do a lab, a lab is like a workshop where you sit, you know, are in a room for maybe a week and you're developing material. Um, and the, the pay scale is pretty low. Um, but a lot of people do labs in the hopes that they will be a part of the show in the future. Now, a lot of times what happens is you will do a lab or a workshop of a Broadway show that isn't a Broadway show yet, but in five years from the time that you do the workshop, that show becomes a Broadway show. Yeah, it takes years. It takes years and years and years. And the person who helped develop that, an actor who played one of the roles, maybe they came up with the funniest line that ends up in the Broadway show. But it's because you're in the rehearsal process and you come up with it. They get no anything from it except for like, yeah, you like that person knows that they did that. So basically, equity is is fighting for something more than just a small contract, whether it be uh, profit sharing in the end, where you you actually get some percentage of what happens in the Broadway show, mm -hmm. or or you get paid more during the lab to like subsidize that. Um, I I'm all for it. I mean, I think anything that that is more inclusive of everybody doing well, like financially or just like will we'll move us forward as a community because it's not going to hurt it's not going to hurt the big broadway producers to do this unless the show is like mega successful right, right. which most broadway shows aren't 
Yeah, they run for a season or two and then they start yeah. touring. And, yeah, I mean, I yeah. guess it's it's a it's a big conversation though, and it's like yeah. a hard. It's hard because the balance of power is is really a little bit stilted right now. Yeah, so, so, now, hopefully the, so now the strike is equity barring equity members from right. participating in workshops. So until, people who yeah. were like in workshops last week, I mean, workshops tip the longest workshop you could be in really is like four weeks. Yeah. So like people who were in workshops of it, of the shows that they were doing, like literally walked out of their rehearsal rooms and just aren't going to go back. Oof. Which, which will take a huge toll on producers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, on a more positive note, yeah. Um, but we have three closing questions Ooh, here that excited. we ask everybody yeah. on the podcast. Uh, very simply, first, what motivates you? Um, my family. That's my family. Two in a row for family. Yeah, my family really motivates me. Um, I, I have love like that. The most loving family in the world, and. I want to be successful and do well and be happy so that they are all happy for me. Does that make any sense? No, that's super nice. Wait. I mean, so that, I, do you know what I mean? I want to do well so that they, that they are happy. Do you know what I mean? Like, so, like, like Jewish guilt. Yeah, yeah. Because if I don't do well, then, then they'll feel bad. <laughs> and vice versa. No, it makes sense. It makes sense in my mind. I, no, I, no, we, we get it. We get like, it. I, and I also want them to be very happy and successful and do what they love because that will make me happy for them. Yes. Like it, yes. We, I just want my entire family to be very successful and very happy. And <laughs> that's what motivates me is, is my family. I want my family to just be like content, which they are, but like I want them to always be content. <laughs> okay. Um, did I, did I, <laughs> there's no wrong answer. No, there's no wrong answer. <laughs> you're just like, okay. And fail. <laughs> That's one of those big X's from the Family Scantron. Feud. Oh, yeah. 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 oh my God, um, I love yeah. Family Feud outtakes. Yes. Or just whenever Steve Harvey has to say something really inappropriate. There's, <laughs> I'll tell you guys, I don't know how X-rated I can get on this. There, there's a very funny one where my friends and I always laugh. I'll tell you, I'll tell you guys after. It's very funny. <laughs> Bonus content. Okay. I'll show you guys a video. All okay. right. It, it, I can't do a Steve Harvey well. All right. Um, <laughs> what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path? Ooh. I think my advice to myself would be live in the moment and enjoy every single second and always stop and realize, you know, it, no matter where you are on your journey or path, like just enjoy every, mo be, be present in the moment because it's really hard to do that. Mm -hmm. And as I get older and older, I mean, I'm not that much older now, but like <laughs> I'm 26, but like that's just the thing that I want to do so badly for the rest of my life is like live in the moment of now um, and just enjoy Every opportunity you get, whether it's a failure or a success, like just take it in and understand that like it's part of who you are and don't let, don't let rejection get you down. That's, that's an important thing too. That is a good one. A lot of people will, uh, will appreciate that. Yeah. Final question here. If you could only see one show for the rest of your life, oh. but you can see it as many times as you want, oh, what show would you see? I should have prepared this. <laughs> Wow. Um, if I could only see one show. Well, my favorite show ever 
is the producers. It has to be live show. Yeah. Or can it be a movie? Let's do one of each. Well, okay. They're both Mel Brooks. <laughs> <laughs> the producers would, the, the, the staged production, mm -hmm. um, that would be, I would watch that every day. Every day of my life. What movie then? So the movie would be Robin Hood Men in Tights. Yes. It's my favorite film on this planet. I love that movie. And I have watched it well over, like hundreds, hundreds of times. I think we just became best friends. I, yes, and I'm waiting for the day when that becomes a Broadway show. You heard it here. Yeah. Mel, I would, Mel, I would, Mel, hey, Mel, if you're listening. Do you know Mel Brooks? <laughs> no. I almost wrote, I, oh, you want to hear something cool about Mel Brooks? Though? Nah. I handed yeah, okay. him his first Tony Award. Really? Back when I was a kid, I was, so when I was in Beauty and the Beast, Instead of having one year, the Tony Award Committee, is that's what it's called, <laughs> the, 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 the Broadway League. Yes. Was like, instead of having beautiful models hand the Tonys, we're going to have Broadway kids. We're going to have all the kids on Broadway. So there were like five kids or six kids. And in the beginning of the show, Bernadette Peters was the host. In the beginning of the show, we come out, this was the 2001 Tonys. We come out and she introduces all of us. It's great during the opening number. And then she you know, lets, you know, makes us go off stage. And just by the luck, of, I was obsessed with Robin Hood Men in Tights as a like 10 year old. Mm -hmm. So I got the first, whatever award came first, maybe it was book or something, whatever came up first. I was on stage. He came up and I handed him the award and he goes, how, how old are you? And I was like, um, like whatever I was, I was uh, not eight, eight probably. And he was like, well, you're doing a great job. <laughs> and then he went and did his, his speech. He like had, a, I had a little moment with Mel Brooks as a child, my idol. And it was really like, it stuck with me. I still to this day think it's like one of the, my favorite memories as a kid, like being on that stage, seeing him come up to me. And he didn't just take the award. He like, He's like, how you doing, boy chick? Oh, you doing good. <laughs> You're doing really good. And then he goes and gives his speech. And <laughs> it was amazing. Big 2001, we can go back and find that. It's, I want to well, go watch No, that. this might have been pre-internet. 2001? I mean. They've got to they've they, have that on there. It's somewhere, probably. Someone send it to feedback at the theater podcast. It's got to, there's got to be like I a full, find that clip. Yeah, a broadcast. Yes. Yes, I, I hope. Yeah. I would love to see it. Well, thank you so yeah. much. We can oh. find you online, uh, Twitter at Harrison Chad, Instagram at Harrison Chad Seven. There were six others that got they, there before you. Probably. I, I just I, I actually made it very early, but I like the number seven. Do you? I love the number seven. Oh, I was born on July seventeenth, seven seventeen. Oh, so, so you're gonna change your Twitter to Harrison Chad Seven. Yeah. I don't know. No. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, episode five, right? Love yeah, episode high? five. Yeah. Love the high. Love the high.com. Find that everywhere you find podcasts. You can get more of me and the theater podcast at theater underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter, facebook.com slash official theater podcast. Of course, uh, you can email us all the time. Feedback at the theater podcast.com or visit the theater podcast.com. Everywhere you're listening now, please review, give ratings. I want to yeah. read those. I think they're very helpful. This is produced by Jillian Hockman. And of course, big thank you to Jukebox the Ghost, as always, for the music you hear now. Harrison Chad, thank you so thank much. Thank you for having this me. This has been so much fun. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> take a deep breath, make the world a little
colorful. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. <laughs> 